that, Lord, you would speak to us. That you would send your Holy Spirit amongst us to be the internal preacher upon the hearts of each and every one of us. Today, as we study the Lord Jesus Christ, may you grow us in the knowledge of our Savior. May you convict us where we need to be convicted. May you challenge us where we need to be challenged. And may you heal us where we need to be healed. And Lord, we also pray if there be any here this morning that do not know you, be it young or old, as they look upon the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, may your kindness lead them to repentance. Oh Lord, be with me as I preach. May I know the liberty of the Spirit and may I be faithful to proclaim your word. We pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, this morning I want to begin by asking a question, a question which at first may sound easy to answer, but it's one of those questions that, depending who you ask, will determine what sort of answer you will receive. And and that question is simply this, who is Jesus Christ? Now, that sounds like a simple question, who is Jesus Christ? But I tell you, if you went door to door around this chapel and went out into the community and you conducted a survey asking people, Sir, Mom, who do you say Jesus is? You'll discover that for nearly every person you speak to, you will get a different answer. People have many opinions on who Christ is, yet not many of them really know him. In our secular world, some people would look upon Jesus and say, well, Christ is nothing more than a good teacher, a moral leader, and perhaps, as has become popular in the last year or two, people saying that Christ is a social revolutionary. If you knock on a door and talk to someone from a religious background, you will find that they have different views as to who Christ is. A Muslim would say that Jesus is nothing more than a prophet. A Buddhist declares that Jesus is an enlightened person. Hinduism says that Jesus is just one of the millions of gods. Judaism, some of them would say that Jesus is a good rabbi. Mormonism declares that Jesus is a created being, the half-brother of Satan. The Jehovah's Witnesses will state that Jesus is created, that he is a God, but not the God. So many different opinions and views as to who Jesus is, and just in way of spoiler alert, they were all wrong. None of those answers are biblically correct. But what it demonstrates is that everyone has an opinion of Jesus. They all answer the question, who is Jesus? But our society is confused. Yet what is truly amazing is despite the confusion, despite the chaos in our society, Jesus Christ is still the central figure of human history. A time is literally torn in two by him. Everything revolves around him, yet who exactly is he? Well, for us to answer that question, it's no use conducting a service. Uh, What we need to do is actually go out and talk to God ourselves and say, God, what I need is for you to tell me who Jesus is. That should be our cry. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, I'm going to seek God and ask for his answer. We need God to speak. We need God to tell us who Jesus is. And the wonderful thing is God does just that. 
He doesn't answer us in an audible voice in our head saying, this is who Jesus is. He, he doesn't give us opinions about who Christ is. No, God speaks clearly and with great clarity through the word. God speaks through the Bible. And he says, let me tell you who Jesus is. And as we come to our passage this morning, we should be praying, Lord, reveal to me who Christ is. Give me an understanding of Jesus. Who is he? And if we approach the scripture with that mindset, God will speak to us from the Bible saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me clear up the confusion." Well, this morning from our passage, there is actually much that could be said about Jesus. We don't have time to unpack every aspect of who Christ is from Colossians chapter 1. If we were to do that, we would be here till Christmas. But what we're going to do this morning is just look at three aspects of who Jesus is. We're going to see from Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the creator, that Jesus is the sustainer, and that Jesus is the rescuer. They're the three points we're going to focus in on this morning. Jesus creates, sustains, and rescues. So with that in mind, let us hear God's voice in the scripture by looking at our first point. Jesus is the creator. And we see that in verse 15 to 16. Now, as I've already mentioned, there is confusion today over who Jesus is. But don't think that confusion is confined to here and to now. Don't think this is a new thing. If a time machine could be invented and you could hop in that time machine and travel back to the first century, back to the city of Colossae and went and visited the church in Colossae that received this letter from the Apostle Paul, you would discover that the church in the first century were confused about Jesus as well. Indeed, in the first century church, one of the reasons that this book of Colossians had to be written was because false teachers had arisen who began to spread lies about Jesus. False teachers in Colossae started to preach that Jesus was not God, that Jesus did nothing for the world, and that Jesus certainly didn't die on the cross. They would say in the church at Colossae, these false teachers would declare that at best, Jesus was just some kind of spirit being far removed from God. And they created confusion by their teaching. Now the church knew something wasn't right here. They thought this doesn't sound correct. So what they did is they went to the apostle Paul and they said, Paul, can you give us the answer? Who is Jesus? Now Paul, as an apostle of Christ, was moved by the Holy Spirit to write the scripture. God speaks through Paul, and Paul pens this letter the church, to the church at Colossae, the letter of Colossians. And as we look at this letter that comes back to a confused church, we see that God speaks through the letter to Colossae, Colossae, saying this is who Jesus is. And he begins by making a statement that should immediately clear up much confusion. The opening salvo in revealing who Jesus is is God declaring that Jesus Christ is God Almighty. Our text says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. That is to say, Jesus Christ is the exact image of the God that no one has seen. Jesus Christ is God becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. 
The Bible makes it clear that Jesus Christ is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He is God Almighty in the flesh. He is truly God and truly man. He is the eternal God who put on frail human flesh to live with us in order to rescue us from our sins. In John chapter 1, we are told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That is who Jesus is. He is God becoming flesh. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in Him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's the opening salvo. Who is Jesus? He is God Almighty. But the text doesn't finish there. In revealing who Jesus is, it doesn't just say that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Our passage goes on to say that Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. He's the firstborn of every creature. Now, if you've read Colossians, you've probably read through that passage many times. But have you ever stopped to ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean? It's always good when we read our Bibles and study our Bibles to ask that question. What does that mean? What's going on here? We need to be students of the Word of God. We need to meditate upon the Word of God, which means we ask questions. What does it mean that Jesus is the firstborn of every creature? Now, it's important we know how to answer that question. Because the cults, those who spread confusion about Jesus, like to grab this statement and twist it. Where I live, we often see the Jehovah's Witnesses set up in the town centre with their little stand handing out lies about Jesus. And if you talk to them, they will often run to this verse. And they'll say, here we have a declaration that Jesus is not God. That's what the cults say. You see, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the false teachers will say that firstborn over every creature means that Jesus had a beginning. But is that what the text is telling us? Well, absolutely not. The Bible is not declaring here that Jesus had a beginning. The sentence before has just declared that he is the image of the invisible God. It's just declared that he is God. Now, God by nature has no beginning and has no end. He is eternal. So the statement, the firstborn of every creature, cannot mean that there's a point in time when Jesus came into existence. So what is it saying? Well, to understand the depth of what is being said, we need to understand that culture. The Bible is written to a specific culture with specific understandings. And in that culture, to be declared the firstborn did not necessarily mean the place where you were born. It meant authority. It meant supremacy. It meant preeminence. So when Paul here declares that Jesus is the firstborn of every creature, he is declaring the supremacy of Jesus. He's declaring the majesty of Christ. He is saying that Jesus is supreme over all of creation and there is none that compare to him. You see, in that culture, that's what they would often say. The firstborn meant the one who carried the most power, the most importance. Uh, we can see that in the book of Psalms. In Psalms, King David, who is the youngest son of Jesse, 
the least son of Jesse, well, the Psalms declare that he is the firstborn. Why? Because he was the most powerful son of Jesse. He is the king. Likewise, when we come to Jesus, when we see that he is declared the firstborn of every creature, we're not seeing a declaration that Christ came into existence. Rather, what we are seeing is a declaration that says Christ has all authority. He is supreme. He is preeminent. As Jesus would say in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What we have here is a positional title declaring that Jesus is the Son of God, the greatest of all beings. He is supreme. He is preeminent over all of creation. And the reason for this is because verse 16 tells us that he is the creator of the creation. Look at verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Jesus is more than a good teacher. He's more than a religious man. He's more than a prophet. What we have here is a clear declaration that Jesus is God. He is supreme because he is the creator of the creation. Everything that exists only exists because of Jesus Christ. Do we understand that when we sing our hymns? We're singing to the all-powerful God who made everything. Do we understand that when we open our Bibles and read of Jesus, that we are reading about the Creator God, the Supreme One? Do we grasp that? I know it's so easy in the Christian life almost to go on autopilot. You know, we sing our hymns, we pray our prayers, we read our Bibles, we keep moving. But pause and capture the majesty of Christ. Stand in awe of Him. And so I get to know the one who is God, the one who is supreme, the one who made me. I get to know Him and worship Him. And that should inflame our hearts for love for our Savior. Everything that exists only exists because of Jesus, the Creator God. Now, it has to be said that some will object at this point. Not necessarily here in this chapel, and I hope no one objects to that point here in this chapel. If you do, please feel free to talk to me afterwards. But there are some in our society that would object. Perhaps you've heard of men such as Richard Dawkins or Sir David Attenborough they take great issue with the idea that a loving God creates everything. And the reason they take issue is they look outside their windows, they see a world that's full of chaos, they see a world that's full of pain, and they say, well, if Jesus is the creator, if he made all of this, then he must be evil because the world is full of problems. They object. Now, in part, we have to agree with them. When they look outside their windows and see the pain and the chaos and the problems, we agree the world is not as it should be. But where we differ is we don't blame Jesus for the problems, whereas they do. You see, they look at the world and say, if God made this, it's all his fault. We look at the world and say, the world is not as it should be. The world is not as it was when Christ made it. 
You see, the Bible declares that Jesus is the creator. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see what the world was like when he created. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus made the world, he made it free from sin. He made it free from death. He made it free from suffering. It was good. Actually, no, it wasn't. God says it was very good. But all that changed. We live in a changed world. You see, what happened was into this very good world, God made man. Adam and Eve made in his image and after his likeness. And he said to them, you are to tend to the garden, you are to be good stewards of the creation, and I have a command for you to follow. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. One command. Well, we know what happened. They ate of the tree and the world plunged into chaos. Through one man's sin, sin and death came to all men because all have sinned. You see, when we look at the chaos out there, we don't point to Jesus and say, this is a corrupt world you made. No, we point to ourselves and say, we are the problem. Humanity corrupted the world. Jesus made a very good world, yet we perverted the creation. We are the problem, not him. So when those atheists such as Dawkins or Attenborough object, what they're trying to do is deflect away from their own sin. And when we object and say, God, why would you make the world this way? What we are doing is deflecting away from our sin. What we should do is say, no, God, you made a very good world. The Lord Jesus made that which is perfect. But we corrupted it. That's what we should be thinking. And as we look at our text, we have to say that Jesus is the God who creates But as we read on, we see that he is also the God who comes to rescue us, the people who wrecked his creation. So in the first answer to our question, who is Jesus Christ? Well, he is the loving creator who comes to rescue. Second, I want you to notice that Jesus is the sustainer. We see that in verse 17. Jesus is the sustainer. Uh, Today, many people have a faulty view of God. That probably shouldn't surprise you. People have faulty views of what God is like. I have spoken to people in the course of evangelism who have told me that how they understand God is as a being who made everything, who put the world in motion, who flung the stars out there somewhere and then just walked away from it. That's how they view God. God is distant. God is far. A God who doesn't care for what is going on down here. And while that view is popular in our society, it's not what the Bible says about Jesus. You see, the Bible does not paint a picture of Jesus who creates the world and then ignores the world. We don't see the Bible telling us that Jesus is just sitting back watching the creation as if it's some kind of giant cosmic television. We don't see that at all. No, what we see is that Jesus is the God who creates the world and has an ongoing work in the world. Jesus is active in the world this very moment. He's not distant. He is not far. He is a God who is active right now in this building as well as in the entirety of the universe. You see, since Jesus created all things, he has been active in sustaining all things. He holds all things together. He maintains every part of the created order. As verse 17 says, by him all things consist. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is upholding 
all things by the word of his power. Jesus is the God who is interested in the world. He cares for his creation, which means he ultimately cares for us. Jesus has an ongoing work in the creation by holding all things together. You see, the words that Jesus spoke to create the world are the words he continues to speak to uphold the world. Nothing can exist or remain in existence apart from Jesus Christ. He is the God who sustains. You see, if Jesus took his hands off everything now, we would cease to exist in a moment. He's holding you together right now. If you're a Christian, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then know that Jesus is holding you together. He's giving you life. He's keeping you going. But if you're not a Christian, if you've never repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, know that right now Christ is holding you together. He is sustaining your life. He's giving you the breath that is in your love. By him, all things consist. Now, as I studied for this sermon, I actually came across a science article that I think beautifully illustrates the nature of Christ holding all things together. I read an article by a man named Dr. D. Lee Chestnut. Now, Dr. Chestnut studied the nucleus of the atom. Now, it's not normal for me to read these sort of articles, but I was intrigued by what he had to say. Dr. Chestnut said, in the nucleus of the atom, there are 16 particles, eight of which have positive energy and eight of which have no charge whatsoever. And he said, based on all the positive energy in the atom, everything should just fly apart. I mean, we probably see it with magnets. You try and put two positive sides of magnets together, what happens? They repel each other. And Dr. Chestnut says all this positive energy in the atom should be driving everything apart in the entire universe. But for some strange reason, it isn't. Dr. Chestnut then went on to say more research is needed in this area. Well, if Dr. Chestnut had opened his Bible to Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, he would find the answer as to why everything is not flying apart. And that answer is simply Jesus Christ. The scripture makes it crystal clear by him. All things consist. That is our Jesus. He creates and he sustains. And people can hear that and say, well, that's well and good. Christ sustains the universe. Christ sustains the big things. But how does that impact me? Well, personalize it. Don't just picture Jesus with his arms wrapped around the world, holding the world together. No, he is active in your life right now. He doesn't just sustain the big things. He sustains the small things as well. Christ upholds everything. Right now, he is giving you life. He is giving you the breath that is in your lungs. I'm assuming you're all still living. I'm assuming you're all still here. And the only reason you're here is because of Jesus. A few years ago, back home in Brisbane, we would conduct open-air meetings every Saturday night in the city centre. And we had some great encounters with the gospel there. But one night, this man came up to me. He was red in the face. He had veins popping out of his neck. 
Now, I'm no expert, but I thought, this guy's not happy. And he walked up to me and he shook his finger. And he said, what has your God ever done for me? Now, I thought, I've got to be careful how I answer this. One wrong move and my nose is going to be rearranged. He was that angry. I said, mate, I need you to do me a favor. I want you to take a deep breath in and then breathe out. Now, here was the moment of decision. Was he going to hit me or breathe? Well, thankfully, he breathed. He took a deep breath in. I said, okay, and now out. He let it out. So let's do that again. Deep breath in and out. Now, he probably thought I was doing some kind of relaxation technique. I wasn't. As he breathed out the second time, I said, you want to know what my God has done for you? The very breath that is in your lungs is a gift from him. He gives you life. He sustains your life. He's active right now. And this angry heckler calmed down. He said, I have never heard of God like that. In his mind, God was distant and far and didn't care. But as we see in the scripture, Jesus draws near and he sustains and keeps all things going. He sustains everything. In him all things consist. The chair you are sitting on is held together by him. The building we are in is upheld by his hand. The land which this building stands upon was made by Jesus and is sustained by him. The world which this land is a part of is resting in the arms of Jesus, which in turn is in the universe, which he upholds by the word of his power. Christ sustains and upholds everything. By him, all things consist. Nothing created would remain in existence if it was not for the ongoing work of Jesus. And that's a big thought. It's a big thought. Jesus is active even now. As I studied for this sermon, I actually spoke to a friend of mine about it. He's a Presbyterian minister. I won't hold that against him. But he was saying to me, Josh, do you really believe this? Now, I thought my friend was an evangelical. So when he said, do you really believe this, you get a bit nervous. I said, of course I believe it. It's in the Bible. He said, Josh, do you really believe that Jesus holds everything together? I said, I do. It's in God's word. And he said, don't worry, I I believe it also. He goes, but I want to give you something to think about. And he gave me something to think about, which gave me a bit of a headache. And the Bible tells us that they have all things in common, the believers do, so I'm going to give you the headache as well. This is what he said to me. He said, Josh, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and Mary and Joseph held baby Jesus in their arms, the only reason they could hold him was because he was holding them. And my response was a deep theological, hang on, what? So he said it again. When Mary and Joseph held baby Jesus in their arms, the only reason they could hold him was because he was holding them. And you might hear that and say, well, that's not possible. How can a mere baby do that? Well, that's the point. 
He's not a mere baby. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. And Jesus Christ came to this world that he creates, this world that he sustains, to rescue a people for himself. And that leads us to our third and final point. Jesus is the rescuer. And we see that in verse 19 to 22. You see, the Bible very clearly tells us that by the work of Jesus, he is able to save his people from their sins. Our text tells us that Jesus comes and he makes peace through the blood of his cross. That's what we are told straight up. Jesus creates, he sustains, and he makes peace by the blood of his cross. Now, as we hear that statement, a question should arise in our mind. If Jesus comes to make peace through the blood of his cross, then doesn't that naturally mean we don't have peace? You only have to make peace if a state of war exists. I mean, think about the whole situation in Ukraine. Without getting political, we have to say there is a breach of peace there. There is a war underway. There is no peace in Ukraine. For someone to make peace means that both sides will stop the war and peace would reign. Now apply it to our lives and what we're told about Jesus. He comes to make peace through the blood of his cross. What does that tell us? It tells us that we naturally do not have peace with God. We're in a state of war with our creator, which is very foolish when you think about it. He creates, he keeps us going by sustaining us, Yet we go to war with him. We fight with him. Our sin shows that we are at war with God. It was our sin that messed up the world that he created. It was our sin that caused us to be cut off from God. And it was our sin that Jesus Christ came to deal with. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, it says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The work of Jesus is to create, to sustain, and to rescue sinners. This is our Jesus. Now, naturally, we are all sinners. Every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, we've all sinned against God. Verse 21 tells us what our natural state is like when it says we are alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Psalm 51 verse 5 says that we are born in sin. We are born alienated from God. We are born cut off from God. We progress through life as God's enemy. Our sin reveals that. None of us can say we naturally have peace with God. Now, some will disagree. Perhaps this morning you are here and you're saying, well, of course sin exists, but I'm not a sinner. I've met people that believe that. I spoke to a man recently that told me me he never errs. He never makes mistakes. And he attends a church very similar to this. I met another man once who said that he was perfect. I didn't have to say much because his wife was standing next to him. She very quickly corrected him. 
See, none of us can say we're perfect. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong. We've all rebelled against our Creator. I'm not perfect. I've sinned against God more times than I can count. I mean, how many sins have you committed in your life? How many lies have you told? How many times have you looked with lust? How many times have you failed to love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength? Let's say we commit just three sins per day. Doesn't sound like much in 24 hours. But over the course of a year, that's a thousand sins. Ten years, ten thousand, you live to eighty, you've got eighty thousand sins on the books. What are you going to do? No, we're enemies of God because of our sin. We've all done wrong. We're all alienated, cut off from God, from the one who creates and the one who sustains. We've rebelled against Him. We're His enemies. And if we stay as His enemies, He will win the war. But as we look at our passage, we see there's good news. Jesus has come to rescue his enemies. Look at verse 21 to 22. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. There's a transformation that occurs. The text says you're alienated, you're enemies of God because of your sin. Jesus comes, he does something wonderful. Now all those who are in him are considered as holy, unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. What happened? What brings about the transformation? Jesus. He brings about the transformation. You see, our sin said we deserve death and judgment. The Bible says the soul who sins it shall die and the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But Jesus, our creator, Jesus, our sustainer, enters into our existence. God becomes flesh and he lives a perfect life and he goes to the cross and he dies the death that we should die. Our sin, my sin, your sin, said we deserve the penalty of death upon us. But Jesus Christ in love went to the cross and he dies as a substitute for his people. He makes peace through the blood of his cross. Peace does not come through your efforts. Peace does not come through your deeds or your religiosity. No, peace comes only through the work of Jesus, his death, his blood shed on the cross. No, the penalty we should have paid for our sin was paid by the Lord Jesus Christ when he bled and died for his people. But it doesn't end there. We don't have a dead saviour. Christ was put on the, in the tomb. And then on the third day, he rose again. And now because he has died and risen again, he says, I can make peace I can forgive all your sin, no matter what you have done. I can transform you. I can make you holy. I can make you unblameable. I can make you unreprovable in my sight. And the only way that we can have that peace is we understand that Jesus died for us. He rose again from the dead. And we respond to that in repentance and faith. 
You see, we should step back and see our Creator, our Sustainer, and Jesus, our Rescuer, dying and rising again, and we should see His love and His kindness, and our response to that should be to say, Lord, I'm going to turn from my sin, and I'm going to trust in You alone. And if you do that, the Bible says you'll go from being God's enemies to having peace with God. He makes peace through the blood of His cross. If you would come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, then you'll be made brand new. All the sin you've committed, no matter what sin it is, would be gone. Now, you can't earn this forgiveness. You can't earn this peace. It's freely given by the Lord Jesus Christ to all those who would trust in Him. And He calls on all to repent and believe. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, he is our creator, he is our sustainer, and he is our rescuer. The question we began with, who is Jesus, has been answered from the text. He creates, he sustains, he rescues. He made all things, he keeps all things going, and he's able to rescue us from our sins. But there's another question. And that question is this. Do you know the Jesus who is creator, sustainer, and rescuer? Do you know him? It's well and good for us to know some facts about Jesus. It's easy for us to sit back and say, well, that's what the Bible says. He creates. That's true. I can see that. Oh, yes, I can see he sustains and he rescues. I believe those facts. But it's another thing entirely to know the Jesus who did all those things. Do you know Christ? Have you trusted in Him? Have you turned from your sins and said, Lord, please forgive me. Rescue me from my sins. Do you know Him? The way in which you answer that question will determine where you are a thousand years from now. We're all eternal beings that will spend eternity somewhere. Either in heaven with Jesus or in hell because of our sin? Do you know the Jesus of the Bible? Have you trusted in Him? I'm not asking, have you been baptized? I'm not asking, do you read your Bible? I'm not interested if you serve in the church or pray. I'm simply asking, do you know Jesus? Have you trusted in Christ for yourself? Jesus is so loving. He is so kind. He creates us, he sustains us, and he will rescue us. And the only fitting response is to come to that Jesus and say, Lord, I'm going to love you and serve you all the days of my life. As Christians, we see what Jesus has done and we come to know him. And our response is to worship him. Isn't he wonderful? All hail the power of Jesus' name. That's what we declare. But if you're one who has yet to trust in Jesus, who have never turned from your sins and believed in Christ, then you are to worship God as well. And the first step in worshiping Christ is to say, Lord, I have sinned. I turn from that sin. And I trust in you. I'm going to worship you. All hail the power of Jesus' name. So do you know Christ? Do you worship him? Do you know the one who is creator? sustainer and rescuer.
Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you have spoken through your word and that you reveal to us from the pages of Scripture who Christ is. This morning, may we be captured by the wonder of Jesus. May we who know him stand in awe once again of our great Saviour. May we worship him for being creator, sustainer and rescuer. May we love him. Forgive us for the times that our love has grown cold. And may we return to our first love. But Lord, if there be any here this morning, or those who may be listening in, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, and Father, we look to you this morning and we ask that you would save souls. That Lord, you would work mightily in our midst. That faith would come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That, Father, this day you would draw men and women, young and old, to the Lord Jesus. And that they would come to worship the one who creates, sustains and rescues. Oh, Lord, we look to you. For your glory's sake we pray. Amen. Well, as we conclude our morning's worship, we're going to sing once again. I thought, what is a fitting hymn that we can close on in the worship of Christ? I thought, hymn 116, hymn 116, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns, all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy chosen king through all eternity. Hymn 116.
to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen.